This is a Faith FM podcast. You're listening to The Faith Experiment with Robbie Bergen, right across Australia, right here on Faith FM. Hello there, and thanks again for joining once again. I'm Robbie Bergen, and you're listening to The Faith Experiment. And this is episode number 38 of The Faith Experiment, and I'm calling this episode The Gospel of the Kingdom. How? Now, as usual, on this episode, I have a great free book to give away. The book's called At Jesus' Feet. It's written by Doug Batchelor, and it unveils the beauty of the gospel with some very original insights through the eyes of Jesus' most dedicated disciple. This is a very imaginative yet biblical retelling of Mary's experience, and it deals with some very significant insights to biblical teachings. This is a great book. You don't want to miss it. To get this book, you need to text the code word, which you will get during the show. You'll text that code word to 488 45311 So save this number into your phone right now, 488 45311 That's the Faith Experiment number. Save that and wait for today's code word. Well, I love hearing from everyone on The Faith Experiment. And once again, I'd love to hear from you today. Where are you listening to The Faith Experiment from right now? I want to give a big shout out to David from Ellenbrook in Perth, Western Australia. He is a regular Faith Experiment listener. He's always texting in questions and comments and feedback to me. I really appreciate it, David. And I hope you're having a wonderful day, whatever time it is there in Western Australia right now. And uh, look forward to engaging with you some more. Also, here's another shout out to John, also from Western Australia. John is in Manjamup. He's originally from Tonga, and he's a seasonal worker picking avocados. And he's been listening to the radio station, and he says it helps him get through his work day every day. So shout out to you, John, from Tonga, who's currently in Manjimup. I have been to Manjimup. It's a beautiful part of Western Australia. And uh, I hope that one day, if these borders ever sort themselves out, I'll be able to come visit there again. Here's another shout-out to Vladimir, who is writing in from Albury in New South Wales. He is a regular listener to The Faith Experiment and is enjoying the show. Thank you, Vladimir. Love Albury right there on the border with Victoria and New South Wales. And Raphael, who is listening from Leopard in Victoria. Hello, Raphael. Thanks again for uh, tuning in. And to the rest of you, I would love to hear from where you are listening to The Faith Experiment from, which part of this great country you're tuning in from. Let me know by texting me on 0488-45311, or you can email me on robbie at faithfm.com.au. Now, Faith Experiment, what is it? This is a show about putting faith into practice, and so far we've been looking at various topics that help build faith. I've shared with you how I went from a non-believer to a faith experimenter. It was a very interesting journey, at least from my perspective, and a number of you have said it was interesting to you too. I've also shared with you how to build your faith in this faith experiment through um, digging deeper into these ancient manuscripts, and we looked at how to study what we call today the Bible. There's a number of excellent topics there based on some really good questions that we delved into. And then recently, I've kind of been answering questions that I've received here on the Faith Experiment, various questions from the Bible, questions on every sort of aspect of of biblical teachings and even from a general social impact sort of view. I've had questions about the vaccine, questions about mandates, questions about death, questions about baptism. All kinds of questions, and it's been a really exciting little journey. On the last episode, episode number 37, I uh, took the whole episode to answer a question from one of the listeners, Ben. 
And Ben asked the question, he's, he, in essence, it was, what's taking Jesus so long to return? And uh, on the last episode, I sort of started unpacking the biblical answer to that question. In fact, it was Jesus' own answer to that question, what's taking so long? Now, if you've missed any of the previous episodes, you want to catch up some of the details, go ahead and get the Faith FM app from your app store or go to faithfm.com.au and look under the podcasting section for The Faith Experiment. You can also find The Faith Experiment on all good podcasting platforms, making it easy to keep up to date. Now, I want to do a quick recap because I promised on the last episode that I was going to um, sort of finish off in a bit more detail the question that Ben asked. And so, to do justice to anyone tuning in to this episode who hasn't yet listened to the previous episode, I'm going to do a quick recap of the question and a recap of my answer, and then we're going to answer those those loose ends, type those loose ends of the last episode. So Ben asked me this question. He said, Robbie, I've really enjoyed your story. It's been fantastic to hear how you went from a non-believer to a faith experimenter, and it was yeah very insightful. He said, but that's been a number of years now. In fact, Ben, it's been 20 years this month. 20, I cannot believe, 20 years ago this month was when my faith journey began. Anyway, so Ben's saying, listen, it's been a while since you started this faith experiment. And his question to me is, aren't you concerned, Robbie, that um, after all this time and not seeing the the promised return of Jesus, aren't you a little bit concerned that this might all just be a bit of a fairy tale and that you are really just, um, you know, hoping for something that may never happen? Like, after all, what's taking Jesus so long? If he's going to come back, why hasn't he come back? So on the last episode, I sort of, I sort of looked at this question from Jesus's perspective. And I, I want to do a quick recap on that because it will do justice for the follow up of what Ben was asking. So on the last episode, what I looked at was Jesus taught many things in his three and a half years of public ministry, but a lot of the highlights, a lot of the really juicy stuff, so to speak, was really taught in the last week of his life, including this answer to this very question that Ben's asking, what's taking Jesus so long, or when will Jesus return? Now, I want to disclaim this from the very beginning by saying we're not going to find anywhere in the Bible the day, the hour, or even the year that Jesus is going to return. I know that many, many people have tried it. Many famous people have tried to determine when Jesus will return. But if you look at the Bible in its entirety, you will see that Jesus has made it very clear that no one is going to know that time. No one. Until it basically happens. And so... There's, this episode is not going to try and give you exact day and an hour because that's impossible, according to Jesus. And so what, what I looked at in the last episode very quickly is I looked at in that last week of Jesus' life, he, he starts it on Sunday by going from Bethany down to the temple in Jerusalem, and that's when we see the, the great triumphal entry where Jesus comes in riding on the donkey and everyone shouting Hosanna, Hosanna, or saying, deliver us, deliver us, Messiah, son of David, deliver us. That was Sunday. And then on Monday, Jesus comes back from Bethany and goes back to Jerusalem. And that's the day that he cleanses the temple. And then he returns back to Bethany on Monday night. And then on Tuesday, he leaves Bethany in the morning and he goes down to the temple again, has a series of debates with the leaders there. 
And this is where he makes this astounding comment that the temple is not going to stand. When he leaves the temple, this is on Tuesday, the Tuesday before his crucifixion, which is on Friday, Jesus is going back up the Mount of Olives, back on its way to go to Bethany. And as he's walking about Mount of Olives, it's right there and then the disciples recognize there's no one else around. They want to sit down and privately ask him, hey, what do you mean the temple's not going to stand? And so they turn to Jesus and they ask those three questions. When will these things be? What will be the sign of your return and the end of the world? And so Jesus begins what we call the Olivet Discourse or the sermon or the second sermon on the Mount in Matthew 24. And this chapter is well known by most serious Bible students because it's a chapter that has a lot of what is generally termed as signs of the times. And so people go through these signs and then they sort of try and correlate that with what's happening in the world to sort of land at some sort of sense that Jesus is coming soon. But as I shared in the last episode, most people, when they read this chapter, they're not actually paying attention to what Jesus is saying in the chapter. Because the disciples are asking for what is the sign of your return, the singular sign of your return. Jesus answers this by start, well, starting off by answering this question by saying things like, well, there's going to be deception. There's going to be war. There's going to be famine. There's going to be pestilence. There's going to be um, persecution. There's going to be false prophets. There's false Christ. All these things. He, he mentions a whole a, a, an array of different negative things that will face this planet. But then in the context of all of these things, he makes this point over and over again, but the end is not yet. This is the beginning of sorrows. He who endures to the end shall be saved. He makes all these points. And it's not until verse 14 of Matthew chapter 24 that Jesus actually answers the question. The question was, what's the sign of your return? and the end of the world, or the end of the age. In verse 14, Jesus answers it by saying this. He says, And this gospel, or good news, of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all nations, and then the end will come. And so in this verse, Jesus answers the actual question. The question was, what's the sign of your return in the end of the world? Jesus says, there's going to be a bunch of bad stuff. Don't get me wrong. Bad stuff is coming. And just like a a woman who is travailing in labor pains, it's going to be increasing in frequency and increasing in intensity. But that is not the end. The end is when The gospel of the kingdom, the good news of the kingdom goes to all the world, then the end will come. And so this is the point that Ben was asking me. Ben's saying, what's taking Jesus so long to return? Jesus' response to that question is, when the gospel of the kingdom goes to all the world, then the end will come. So we explore this question now, what is the kingdom? What's this good news of the kingdom that's got to go to all the world? And we identified that in a, a Hebrew mindset, especially in Jesus' day, the message of the kingdom in, entailed five characteristics and entailed a king. There's obviously a king for a kingdom. And because Israel had no king, this was the idea of a promised king coming, the Messiah who would come. 
The second element of this kingdom good news or kingdom message was that there would be a redeemer. This king, who the promised king would be a redeemer because the function of a king was to rescue, redeem and provide for his subjects. And so the message or the good news or the message of this this kingdom is that the promised king will come, i.e. the Messiah, and when he does, he will rescue and redeem us and he will provide for us. Now in the context of the Hebrews in the time of Jesus, especially the disciples, they were looking for redemption and rescue from a Roman power. And so their idea of a king and a kingdom was to break the Roman yoke, so to speak. The third element to the kingdom and the kingdom message is the rule of law. Because the rule of law or the constitution of the kingdom ensures justice for all and freedom for all. And so the Hebrews were looking for this promised king to be their redeemer and rescuer, to be a provider, and to reestablish the rule of law, to bring justice back to society. The fourth element to the kingdom message is the people. You can't have a kingdom without subjects, and the subjects are the people. They're the citizens. And so the, obviously the Hebrews saw themselves as the, as the subjects of this kingdom by birth because of Father Abraham. And the fifth and final element to this kingdom message was a place or territory. A kingdom needs a place. And for the Hebrew mind, that place was to be Israel. And so you can see why very easily when Jesus came down on that donkey in the descriptions of the prophecies of Zechariah, the people went, this must be the promised king, the son of David. That's why they cried out, son of David, son of David. That was establishing him as the king. And then they were asking, Hosanna, Hosanna, or rescue us, rescue us, redeem us. That's what that that idea means in the Hebrew tongue. And the reason they want that is because they want justice. They want the establishment of the rule of law, the constitution to be lifted back up because they saw themselves as the people and they needed their territory or place re-established. And so in the Hebrew mind, in the mind of the disciples, when Jesus says, listen, the good news of the kingdom, that needs to go to all the world for a witness. They're not all going to believe it, but it's got to go for a witness and then the end will come. So we left it there on the last episode with this idea that until this good news of this kingdom message of a king, a promised redeemer, a promised rescue and provider, a promise of reestablishing the rule of law to bring justice and freedom to all, a, a collection of people making up the citizens of this kingdom and a place established for the kingdom. Until that is gone, that message has gone to all the world, the end will not come. And so we left that there on, on the last episode. So on this episode, I'm going to take you to the next logical question, which is, how will the gospel, how will this good news of the kingdom, how will it go to all the world? Well, it's time to take a short break now, but when we come back, we're going to continue looking at how the gospel of the kingdom is going to go to all the world. And coming up is today's code word for this great giveaway at Jesus' feet. We'll be right back after this with The Faith Experiment. You're listening to The Faith Experiment with Robbie Bergen. Right across Australia, right here on Faith FM. Connect with us via text message on 4 That's 4 Or send an email to robbie at faithfm.com.au Oh, I'm a traveller Far from home 
with Robbie Bergen right across Australia right here on Faith FM listen live or listen later get the Faith FM app from your app store today welcome back to the Faith Experiment I'm your host Robbie Bergen and that was Zach Williams with Face to Face and this is episode 38 of the Faith Experiment and I'm calling this episode the Gospel of the Kingdom how and coming up is the code word for today's great free offer so stick around So in this episode, we are looking at the second part to the questions that were raised on the last episode. We looked in the last episode of what was taking so long for Jesus to return. Clearly from Jesus' own words, the end will not come or the second coming will not happen until the entire world has received the witness or the testimony 
of the good news regarding the kingdom, the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. That's what Jesus preached for those three and a half years. In fact, the very first words out of Jesus' mouth, we find them recorded in Mark chapter 1. It says that Jesus came out of the wilderness and he started preaching the gospel of the kingdom. And he said, repent, believe the good news. So this was at the start of his his three and a half year ministry. And as we just saw before the break in Matthew 24, verse 14, Jesus makes the very astounding statement that the sign that the end will come or the end is about to come is when the good news of the kingdom, the same gospel he preached when it goes to all the world for a witness. Again, they're not, the whole world's not going to believe it, but the whole world's going to hear it as a testimony. So they have the chance to choose. So on this episode, we're going to answer this question, this follow-up question, which is how is the gospel of the kingdom, the good news about the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, how is that going to go to all the world? Well, this question, as we've seen, was asked initially by the disciples on the week before his crucifixion. And Jesus just makes the simple statement that the gospel of the kingdom will go to all the world. Now, I want you to imagine that you're a disciple. You're sitting in the Mount of Olives. You've asked the question, Jesus, what's the sign of your return and the end of the world? And then in the course of Jesus' discourse, he says, listen, it's when the good news of the kingdom goes to all the world that the end will, end will come. If I was sitting there with all the information and knowledge that I have now, which obviously they didn't have, I would ask a follow-up question to Jesus, which would be, Jesus, okay, I understand what you've said, but my question to you, Jesus, is how will the gospel or the good news of the kingdom go to all the world? That's the question that I would have asked. And I'm sure the disciples probably wanted to ask, but they, for whatever reasons, they didn't ask. So in Matthew 24, just a few days out from the cross, Jesus just makes the statement, this good news is going to all the kingdom. The disciples hear that and say nothing. In fact, between this day and the crucifixion day, these disciples are so preoccupied with who is the greatest of all the disciples and who's going to have the best position in the kingdom that they don't even ask. They don't even bother to ask, Jesus, how's this How's this task? I mean, this is a, a, a massive undertaking to take a message to the entire planet. I mean, this is a huge, huge task. But no, they're, they're worried about who's the greatest in the kingdom. They're not worried about asking how is this task going to happen. Now, we get... To Friday, And on Friday, Jesus is crucified. Now, I want you to think for a moment. You're one of these disciples. They probably, you know, with all the grief and all the, the stuff that has transpired, they've probably forgotten everything that took place in that discussion on the mountain, at least temporarily. I mean, they're dealing with the fact that their Messiah, their believed Messiah, their, their rabbi, their teacher, their friend is now crucified. So Jesus is crucified. He, he dies on the cross. And he's taken Friday afternoon and laid in a tomb. I can't imagine what that next day, that Sabbath day, that Saturday would have been like for the disciples. I'm sure they were probably rehearsing the events of the last week. How did we go from a triumphal entry on Sunday to now less than a week later? We're on Saturday and our 
our hopes that were placed around Messiah, placed around Jesus as being the promised one, the one who came to rescue and redeem, the one who came to establish the rule of law and bring justice and freedom for all, the one who is, who is, we are his people and the one who is going to give us a territory, that, that kingdom message. How did it go from that on Sunday to now he is in the grave today on Saturday? I'm sure this would have been a very, very troubling experience for each and every one of them. But nonetheless, whatever that took place, we don't know all the details, but they obviously went through the hours of Saturday. And in the Sunday early hours, the knowledge comes to them that Jesus' body is missing. There's questions around what's happened. Did someone steal it? Uh, Marys have gone to the tomb, and they have got a message that Jesus has been raised from the dead. They return and they tell the disciples. The disciples obviously are in a state of disbelief and disarray and shock and all these sorts of things. But the message that the the ladies are given to give the disciples specifically in the Gospel of Mark says, tell Peter and the others to go to the mountain which I had told them to meet me on. So the disciples obviously listen to that because next scene in the Gospel of Matthew, we find them on the mountain that was appointed. We can pick this up in Matthew chapter 28 and in verse 16, the Bible says that then the 11 disciples went away into Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. When they saw him, so Jesus is there now, evidently he got to Galilee somehow, he's on a mountain, the disciples are there with him on the mountain, this is after the resurrection, after the crucifixion, they're on a mountain. And this is interesting because the last mountain well, we don't know if it was the last mountain, but one of the significant last mountains that they were on was the Mount of Olives, where Jesus gave them the discourse, discourse about the sign of his return. Of course, there was a, a mountain or a hill, a Golgotha, in between all of that. But now they're back on a mountain on the other side of the resurrection, and there Jesus is. Verse 17, when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Verse 18, and Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and in earth. Verse 19. Go therefore. Whenever you see the word therefore, ask yourself, what is it therefore? Now, in verse 19, Jesus says, go therefore. I have all authority. It's been given to me in heaven and in earth. Some translations say all power and authority. However you want to slice and dice it, there's nothing that Jesus doesn't have power over or reign over in heaven and in earth. And it's been given to him by the Father. And as a result of this astounding fact, I mean, this, this, is, this is the disciples talking to Jesus of Nazareth, who was a carpenter in Galilee, poor in Galilee, not a place to lay his head, the Bible tells us. He's since been taken and beaten and whipped and crucified And now he's resurrected, and now he's making this astounding statement that he has all power and all authority. And the disciples, I'm sure, were astonished. So Jesus says, because of this reality that I have all power and I have all authority, here's what I want you to do, therefore. Uh, Go. I want you to go, therefore, and make disciples, and notice this very carefully, of all nations. So on the mountain before the crucifixion, Mount of Olives, Jesus tells the disciples, you want to know the sign of when I'm coming back in the end of the age or end of the world? Here it is. It's when the good news 
of the kingdom goes to all the world. Then the end will come. Now, on the mountain, on the other side of the cross, Jesus is talking to his same people, the disciples, again. And now he's saying, listen, I've got all power and I've got all authority. What I've been through has now validated my position. As a result, or therefore, I want you to go and make disciples or teach all nations or be a witness to all nations. So, before the cross... There was just this generic statement, the good news of the kingdom is going to all the world. After the cross, Jesus says, you know how I told you that's going to go to all the world? Yes. Here's how it's going to go. You're going to take it. Now, if I was a disciple, knowing everything I know now, I would ask a follow-up question. Jesus, I would say, Jesus, how are we going to teach all nations and make disciples on your behalf, Jesus? I mean, how? I mean, I know you're saying we should, but How? Now, Jesus doesn't answer that question. He just continues on saying you're going to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. That means they're going to become citizens of the kingdom. And you will teach them to observe all things that I have commanded you. This is about the Constitution, understanding the rule of law. And then he says, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. Again, that's the point when the gospel's gone to all the world that he will return. Now, a few days go by since this conversation. Jesus is not with the disciples continually. He's um, here and there and everywhere for the next 40 days. The disciples, on the 40th day, we find the disciples in the book of Acts in chapter 1. We find them being assembled. This is in Acts chapter 1 verse 4. It says, And being assembled together with them, he commanded them, this is Jesus, not to leave Jerusalem. Now, think about this. The last time they had talked to Jesus on the mountain in Galilee, after the resurrection, after the crucifixion resurrection, Jesus had told them, you've got to take this gospel of the kingdom to all the world. Now, a few days have gone by, Jesus meets with them again, and he says to them, listen, I'm commanding you, do not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father which, he said, you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him. So this is the disciples now asking Jesus, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? Notice this, they have, they've started pondering, okay, so the kingdom's got to go to all the world. That gospel of the kingdom's got to go to all the world. All right, we get that. And we get that we've got to do it. And now, 40 days after the, the resurrection, the disciples turn to Jesus and they say to him, uh, uh, Jesus, Lord, will you now at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? Again, see, they've got this kingdom mentality, those five points. They're looking for the restoration of the people, the, the rescue, and the provision and the territory. Verse 7 says, Acts chapter 1 verse 7, And he, Jesus, said to them, It's not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. So Jesus is softly saying here, Listen, don't stress about how long this is going to take or what will come upon this world, like those times and seasons of, of, of sorrows that he mentioned before the cross on the Mount of Olives. But he says here in, in verse 8, he says, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. So he's saying, listen, stay here in Jerusalem. They're saying, oh, 
Is, are you going to establish the kingdom now, Jesus? Is this the good news of the kingdom going to all the world right now? And Jesus says, no, this isn't it. And don't stress about how long this is going to take, the times or the seasons. This is the Father's authority. This is his domain. You're to stay here until you receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And then you shall be witnesses. Now, did you get that word? Witnesses to me as what? The promised king. Why is he a promised king? Because he's the redeemer. He's the rescue and provider. What's he going to do? He's going to establish the rule of law, bring justice and freedom and equality to all. He's going to have people baptized into his kingdom. That's his subjects. And he's going to establish his territory, the whole earth. He says, you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem. So that's where this job starts. This whole, how is the gospel going to all the world? It starts where they are, in Jerusalem. And then it will go into Judea. It says, and in all Judea. That's the next suburb. That's the next region. And then Samaria, which is the next region beyond that. And then to the end of the earth. If we follow the the book of Acts, we find a sequence that's astonishing. In the first portion of the book, all the focus is on sharing the good news of the kingdom of God to the people in Jerusalem. We see it on the day of Pentecost. We see it in the temple. We see it in in Jerusalem with various um, dialogues with different leaders. We see it with Stephen, one of the deacons, sharing the good news that Jesus is the promised king. And by implication, he has come to redeem and to rescue us. He's come to establish the rule of law. He is here now to show that he is the one building up the people, the subjects, in order to establish the territory. And so that is exactly the sequence that we see in Jerusalem. And then there's persecution in Jerusalem, so they move to Judea. And then the persecution follows them, so they go to Samaria. And then we're left in the book of Acts with it not completely gone to all the ends of the earth. And so the book of Acts is written in such a way that it almost is encouraging us to be part two of the book of Acts in our own existence. We're to take that mantle, which is the gospel of the kingdom, has gone to Jerusalem, it went to Judea, went to Samaria, and it began to spread across the face of the earth. But now you're invited to pick up that mantle and be that witness that takes this good news of the kingdom, the promised king, the promised function of redemption and and being rescued and provided for, the rule of law, justice and equality for all, and the, the establishment of a people, people who are baptized and born into this kingdom of heaven, and those who will receive a territory on an earth made new. Well, it's time to take a short break now, but when we come back, I'm going to continue looking at the last stage of the gospel of the kingdom. How is it going to go to all the world? And coming up is the co-word for today's great giveaway. I'll be right back after this with The Faith Experiment. The Faith Experiment is made possible because of people like you. If you enjoy what we are doing, please consider supporting us by making a donation on our website at faithfm.com.au slash donate. Stand 
go ahead and say it isn't me. The day will come when you will see. Cause I'll rise again. Ain't no power on earth can tie me down. Yes, I'll rise again. Death can't keep me in the ground. Listening to the Faith Experiment with Robbie Bergen, right across Australia, right here on Faith FM. Welcome back to the Faith Experiment. I'm your host, Robbie Bergen, and that was Rise Again by Marlita Fong. This is episode 38 of the Faith Experiment, and I'm calling this episode the Gospel of the Kingdom. How? And coming up shortly is the code word for today's great free giveaway, this wonderful little book. It's a really it is an excellent book. It's called At Jesus's feet, so make sure you stick around. So on this episode, we are answering the second part to the question which was asked by Ben on the last episode, which was, what's taking Jesus so long to return? On the last episode, we had established from Jesus' own teachings that the end will only come when the entire world, every nation, has received the witness about the good news of the kingdom of heaven. 
and we unpacked what that meant for a first century Christian. The idea of a kingdom had the connotation that there was the promised one, the promised king, the Messiah. And when he came as a king, he would be the redeemer and rescuer and provider of the people. And that would also connect us with the establishment of the rule of law, the constitution to bring back justice and freedom for all. And then obviously a kingdom has subjects or the people and a territory. And so when this witness of this good news that the Messiah has come to rescue and redeem, to restore the Lord, to have a people and a territory, when that has gone to all the world, then the end will come. Now, on this episode, we've been asking ourselves this question, well, how is that going to happen? And we've seen before the break that before the crucifixion of Jesus, Jesus met his disciples on a mountain, Mount of Olives, and told them that this is the sign when I return. It's the gospel of the kingdom of all the world. After the crucifixion, on another mountain, this time in Galilee, Jesus tells in Matthew 28, verse 19 and 20, that you will go as my witnesses to all nations and make disciples. And then we just saw right before the break in Acts chapter 1 that Jesus, before he ascends back to heaven, 40 days after his um, resurrection, he's with the disciples there in chapter 1. The disciples turn to Jesus and say, Will you now at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And Jesus tells them, Look, this, the seasons is not for you to worry about. The times and the seasons are not yours. They're God's. But you're to wait here in Jerusalem until you've received power of the Holy Spirit. And then you will be a witness in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and then the other parts of the world. And I share with you just before the break how that in the book of Acts, as we follow this chronology, the followers of Jesus did exactly that. On the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, they were witnesses for this good news of the kingdom, that the king had come, and he came to rescue and to redeem his people, and that he has come to establish the rule of law, his his law, his love, his commandments, his constitution. And he's looking for a people who believe and join this kingdom through baptism. And they are waiting for the place that he has prepared for them. We see that in Jerusalem in the first part of Acts. Then in the middle part of Acts, it moves into Judea and then into Samaria. And then we're left hanging with the end of the book of Acts with almost this invitation for us to be a part of the completion of the journey where we are responsible to take the good news of the kingdom to the rest of the world. And that's what I want to pick up now in this final part of today's episode. I want to pick this up where where does this place us? We're in 2021, almost about to say goodbye to 2021 and welcome in 2022. Where does this place us as people in a faith experiment, people who have have seen through evidence in these ancient manuscripts that there is in fact a God and he did send his His representative, his son, to be the promised one who will rescue and redeem us, who is rescuing and redeeming us and has established the rule of justice and freedom for all and looking for those people. Where does this place us in 2021 looking to 2022? Well, I want to take you to the last book, of the Bible, the book of Revelation. And then for those of you who are regulars to the faith experiment, you know that this book is a very, very special book to me. This is the book that really introduced me to the concept of faith, uh, God, 
salvation belief. And for many people, this is a this is a scary book. It's a a book that they don't want to touch. It's too too tough or too deep or too heavy. But this book is a brilliant book because it's a book about the good news, the book about the gospel. So I want to take you to a verse in Revelation chapter 14. Now, if you think of this chronologically, in Matthew 24, before the cross, Jesus says, when the gospel goes to all the world, the end will come. Then we have the cross. Then after the cross, Matthew 28, Jesus says, now that I have all power, now you are to go and proclaim that good news to all the world. Then in Acts chapter 1, he says, how that's going to be possible is when you receive the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, in Revelation chapter 14, I want to share this passage here, which is absolutely remarkable in light of this progression. In Revelation chapter 14, verse 6, this is what these ancient manuscripts say. They say, Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven. Now, in the Greek language, the word angel is anglos, and anglos literally means messenger. And in Revelation, we see a whole range of these messengers or angels. And it's not to say that we're talking specifically about these creatures that have the wings that we all sort of think about when we think of angels. This is actually the language of a messenger or a group of messengers. And in this portion of Revelation, right at the end of this um, great uh, conclusion of this earth and the ushering in of a of a new reigning um, Lord of Lords and King of Kings, in Revelation 14, we get this invitation to go along with the journey of these three angels or these three messengers. And I want you to notice what this messenger, the first one here says. In verse 6, I saw another angel, that's the messenger, flying in the midst of heaven. It's an it's a image of speed. And the fact that it's in the midst of heaven is a direct reference back to the Old Testament. When we see in the Old Testament a, a message that's in the middle of heaven or mid-heaven, it's between where God is and between where we are. It's sort of floating in between. The first time this imagery takes place is in the book of Genesis when we see the rainbow. The rainbow is placed mid-heaven. It's not in heaven. It's not on earth. It's mid-heaven. And that message has a message which has an importance to everyone on the planet. That's the imagery. We also see when we get down to Moses, when he has a serpent on a pole that's lifted up into mid-heaven. Not in heaven, not on earth, but a message for all on the earth. And so we see this same um, symbolic language used here in Revelation chapter 6. Then I saw another angel, so a message, flying, that's speed, in mid-heaven. This is a message for this earth. And this is the message. It says, having the everlasting good news, that's that word gospel again, to proclaim or to preach to those who dwell on the earth. So again, showing this is a universal message for anybody who dwells on the earth. And then it actually breaks it down even further. It says to every nation, every tribe, every tongue, and every people. So right before this um, cataclysmic event takes place in the book of Revelation, which is the second coming, which comes at the end of chapter 14, we're introduced to the importance of these last three messengers that are taking a message to the whole world. 
And this is exactly where Jesus is, is looking forward to in time from Matthew 24 on the Mount of Olives. He's, he's speaking the same language that's echoed here in Revelation 14. So a message is going to all the world, and that message is packaged here very nicely by John, who wrote this, as the everlasting or the eternal good news. Now, we've already seen that the good news in Jesus' own words is that the kingdom of heaven is here. That's the gospel. Mark chapter 1, we see that. So what is what is the end time application to this message? In verse 7, Revelation chapter 14 verse 7, this is this everlasting gospel being preached to all who dwell on the earth. Verse 7 says this, saying with a loud voice, meaning it's urgent, we're running out of time here. It says, fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment has come. Now, let's stop there for a second. The language here of giving uh, God fear or the fear God is again a direct reference from the book of Exodus, Old Testament language. This was the picture where Moses had received the Ten Commandments and the people were afraid. And they said, don't talk, don't let God talk to us, Moses. You talk to God and you tell us because we're afraid of God. And God, and Moses turns to the people and says, hey, listen, don't be afraid of God, but God has come down to test whether you fear God. So don't be afraid of God, but he wants to see if you fear him. What does that mean? The next part of the verse says that you depart from evil or you sin not. So the issue here is sin. The fear of God, to fear God, is to depart from sin, to hate sin. And that makes perfect sense because the very next part of the the passage says give him glory. How do we give glory to God? Well, the Apostle Paul tells us that whatever we do, whatever we eat, whatever we drink, in all that we do, we either give glory to God or we don't give glory to God. And so connected to our actions is whether or not we're glorifying God or not. And that's all based on the premise of whether or not we fear God or not, which means do we hate sin or do we love sin? And then that's framed in the very next part of the passage, which says, because the hour of his judgment has come. God's judgment has come. And remember, what's the good news of the kingdom? When the promised king comes, he rescues and redeems from what? From sin. And when he rescues and redeems from sin, that is all based on the foundation of the rule of law in the kingdom, the commandments, the constitution. And you can't have a judgment without the law. And so the judgment has come. So again, the law is being established here. And then he says this. It says, And worship him who made heaven and earth and the sea and the springs of water. So here comes that worship side to the the fact that the, the king is here, he's rescued you, he's provided for you, he's done everything for you, he's established justice and freedom for all. And now the question is, will you be one of his subjects? Will you acknowledge him? Will you worship him? And so in this whole introductory message, which is framed right at the last moment of earth's history, is the language of the good news of the kingdom. And it is in this context that it is achieved. The whole world is placed into a court scene, almost, where there are two compelling presentations. One is to follow the beast and receive his mark, and one is to follow the king, the promised king, and enjoy the freedoms that his his constitutional law brings. And that is recognized through worship, 
of God. And so you have this counterfeit system of the worship of the beast or the worship of God. And this is the final presentation where it's presented in the framework of judgment and a witness being given and people having the opportunity to make up their minds. And when the last person makes up their mind, then the job is done. And so this is the time we're living in. We're living in the time where this message is to go to all the world. And what's encouraging is it goes swiftly. It's flying in the midst of heaven. And so you and I who are faith experimenters, we get to be a part of this journey. And so my question to you on this episode is this. The fact that Jesus has all authority, the fact that Jesus has given us the promise of the Holy Spirit and the power that comes with that, have you received this good news of the kingdom? Have you received Jesus as the promised king? Have you allowed him to rescue and redeem you from sin in your life? Do you, do you embrace the rule of law that he brings that establishes justice and freedom? Do you want to be one of his subjects and enter into his kingdom through baptism? And are you looking for, with longing expectation, to be a part of that that kingdom territory, which is not too far away. Because if you haven't, if you if your answer to any of those questions is no, friends, the gospel of the kingdom is for you. It's the message that Jesus has for you. Don't get distracted with watered down versions of this thing. This isn't just, oh, Jesus died on the cross and he loves you. This is life changing. It's life changing to have a king. It's life-changing to be provided and protected by a king. It's life-changing to live under the king's rule, under his constitution. And it's life-changing to be one of his subjects. So I want to encourage you, if this if this hasn't become your reality yet, then consider it today. Consider today to accept Jesus as the promised king and allow him to start working in your life. Now, if you have already done that and and you're a part of his kingdom by faith, if that's your story, then my question to you is, have you shared that good news of the kingdom with somebody else? Have you told anyone? Have you told your neighbor? Have you told your co-worker, your family member? Have you had a chat to your barber? Because if you understand the message of the kingdom, you're a part of the solution of getting it to all the world. And so, friends... I challenge each and every one of you to not just live this kingdom message, the good news of the kingdom, but to be a part of the kingdom by sharing the good news with those around you. Because we have to start in Jerusalem, that's our own neighborhood, before we go to our suburb, to our state, and ultimately to our country. So it starts where you are, and only you can reach the people where you are. Now, as I mentioned at the top of the show, I have this great book called At Jesus' Feet. In this book, Doug Batchelor unveils the beauty of the gospel with original insights through the eyes of Jesus' most dedicated disciple. And it basically is going through a retelling of Mary's experience and clarifies some very significant biblical teachings. So, if you want to get this book, I would encourage you to take out your phone now and to get ready to text this code word. The code word is the hash symbol, followed by... F-E for Faith Experiment and the number 38 for Episode 38. So that's all one word, hash F-E 38. Text that to 04888 453 That's 04888 453
1111 and the Faith FM giveaway bot will reply asking you for some details and we will get this book out to you as soon as possible. So text the code word hash FE38 to 0488-45311. Well, that's all for now. I'll catch you next week at the same time right here on Faith FM for the next episode of The Faith Experiment. I'll see you then. If you have enjoyed this episode of The Faith Experiment, please help us get the word out by sharing our podcast with your friends and family. And don't forget to like us on Facebook.